there's something that's captivating about that. So I think a lot of bakers have, you know, a really keen sense of curiosity and um, they're also pretty driven to kind of always improving. It's one of those, it's one of those living things where um, you can't ever be done with learning about it. Grain is fundamental to civilization. It is literally the foundation of civilization. And a good slice of bread and butter is my death row meal, my desert island essential. The, yeah, really a foundation of my life as well as civilization that we all share. Anyway, today we are talking all things grain with Pippa James. Uh, Pippa, along with her partner Michael, is one of the founders of Grains, which celebrates all things wheaty and rye-ish. Uh, Pippa, welcome to Dirty Linen. Thanks, Danny. It's great to chat with you. Yeah, excellent to chat with you. Tell us a little bit about Grains with a Z. Yeah, well, Grains with a Z... Um, is spelt that way because the A is capitalised and the NZ is capitalised. So it's all about um, localising grain economies in Australia and New Zealand and connecting people within those economies um, to strengthen them. Um, Post-COVID, there's been less of the NZ uh, emphasis, which uh, we hope to change going forward. But um, going backwards, uh, we've been going since 2014 was the first gathering and we um, hosted that at Tivoli Road Bakery, which was the, Michael, uh, the bakery that Michael and I ran. Um, it really started via an Instagram conversation between Michael and Ian Lowe from a Peace Bakery in Launceston. They just wanted to get people together and share knowledge and contacts and chew the fat, I guess, about their day-to-day. So that first gathering was like 20 people, um, pretty much all bakers, just around the benches at Tivoli Road Bakery. Um, and it's grown from there. Different. It's moved every year um, or every time that it's been held. It's been – there was one in New Zealand. Um, Small World Bakery in South Australia has hosted, Dust Bakery in Sydney hosted um, – and then Redbeard hosted Grains in 2019 and they really pushed it into a large format gathering, um, almost a conference style event. We had international speakers, um, which, you know, that kind of international connection all grew out of some travel that um, a bunch of Australian bakers did connecting with people in the States and the UK. Um, yeah, so that's kind of the potted history of it. Uh, and we just held one first post-COVID large-scale event um, on the 1st and 2nd of May, so just a month ago, um, which sort of followed the same format. We had, you know, a bunch of speakers um, talking about all different facets of the grain economy. It's really grown from that small bunch of bakers to include um, growers and millers and um, academics working on um, wheat breeding programs and, yeah, a whole bunch of people. Yeah, well, I was thrilled to be um, part of the that grains and to attend the one that you mentioned in Trentham. And I have to say it's just I don't know what it is about bakers and brewers who are, you know, all about the grain, but just the best people. Um, the and the atmosphere at these events is is really just really beautiful. Um, I mean, is that is that 
Is that you guys making it like that or do you reckon bakers are just ace people? Uh, I reckon bakers are pretty ace people. I think there's something about the alchemy of turning, um, you know, a small grain first into flour and then via a process of fermentation into something that is so sustaining and delicious. Um, there's something that's captivating about that. So I think a lot of bakers have, you know, a really keen sense of curiosity and um, they're also pretty driven to kind of always improving. It's one of those, it's one of those living things where um, you can't ever be done with learning about it, I guess. So, um, yeah, I think those kind of people that bring curiosity and also a lot of generosity, um, the way that, grains has evolved purely as a um, space to share it has always been done with a lot of generosity um, and I think that's part of what brings that lovely vibe um, it's also quite it's a bit solitary baking or or growing or milling um, you know the farmers might be you know they're, they're out in out on their farms and they're not always connecting with people that are doing the same thing in the way that um, people who go to an office might be. So the opportunity just to actually connect uh, in a, you know, in a personal way and um, share stories and share tips and knowledge and learnings, um, it's, that also contributes to that lovely vibe. I think also, you know, bakers so often work pretty odd hours that aren't really in the same rhythm as the society that they or the communities that they look after with their products. I mean, do you think that's part of it? True. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, yeah, yeah, so they – it's nice to be around people that sort of understand that as well. Um, and, yeah, I know like when Michael has been baking, he's done various um, – schedules the 10 p.m to 6 a.m schedule or the he did for many years 3 a.m till whenever he finished um it's it's punishing it's really brutal so to step away from that and then just to connect with people that get it is really refreshing for them a lot for a lot of them i think yeah that's um yeah i'm sure that's part of it um so Pippa, um, what were some of the highlights of the recent grains for you? Um, well, we launched this year the John Reed Fellowship. That was a massive highlight. Um, so, as I mentioned, the most recent grains before COVID was held at uh, Redbeard Bakery in Trentham. Um, John Reed was the owner there and he, following year, he was diagnosed with a really aggressive brain tumour um, and he passed away in 2021. So it was the first time that everyone had gathered and um, after his death, we got talking with um, Tammy Jonas, who is the president of the Australian Food Sovereignty, um, sorry, Australian Food, Australian Food Sovereignty Alliance, sorry, um, and established a fellowship in John's name. He was um, somebody who was a massive advocate of uh, sustaining and sustainable grain growing and sharing. Um, so to gather again and kind of commemorate him, launch that fellowship was really beautiful. Um, we also had, I think for the first time, a pretty even 
gender divide and a, a more diverse um, program than we've had before. And that was super nice. We had a really lovely diversity panel, which you know all about because you moderated it. Um, that was just, that was a real highlight for me. It was just um, so nice to hear those stories shared with vulnerability and generosity. Yeah, there was so much to love. Um, I also really enjoyed doing my Bobka workshop with Mariesha Werdiger from Zelda Bakery and just, yeah, I guess, you know, speaking of diversity, just leaning into that um, that Orthodox Jewish culture that she's able to share through what she does. Um, yeah, it just, yeah, so much, so much, I guess so many different skills and interests and passions and obsessions that come to bear and all of these things. Um, but Pippa, you know, I'd love to talk more about John because he was such a, just such a, you know, a beautiful person and a key figure in um, the artisan baking movement, a sourdough movement in Australia. Um, he was, we were really super honoured and and it was incredibly moving to have him on the podcast, I think in April 2021 when he had been diagnosed with the brain tumour and, you know, spoke about, you know, the, the impact that it was having on him and his family. Um, he knew that he was going to die. Uh, he was, like, incredibly philosophical um, and I think never really lost sight of the meaning in his work, which was profoundly affecting for me. It was just just such a just such a big, generous person um, and, yeah, just such a – just leaves such an incredible legacy. But t- tell us about John. Um, John was just so vital um, and passionate and committed to the cause of real food as a way of connecting people. Um, he was – he was actually a teacher before he was a baker and he was super passionate about um, sharing knowledge. And, you know, he used to do open mic Friday nights where um, at his bakery where anybody could turn up and bake with the team and, you know, get their head around that enormous wood-fired scotch oven. Um, so he was super generous with his energy and his knowledge Um and just, yeah, like a real lover. <laughs> so, so easy to be around um, and interested and curious and um, excited about good things. He was also absolutely an activist for better food systems um, and he was a real connector. He introduced us to just some of the best growers we've met. Um, he just, you know, had those deep and broad networks um, of people that just were quietly toiling to do their bit for the earth and the piece of land that they were managing um, and their communities. He's a, he was a real community builder. And, you know, the, the family at Redbeard is just um, so tight and so lovely and that's a testament to his energy yeah, so beautiful. And I mean, tell us more about the fellowship. Um, what is it, and and what do you hope will come from it? Um, so the fellowship is um, a stipend or a pool of money that has been raised through various means, um, and 
we're calling for applications for people working within the grain community or wanting to build on a project that um, celebrates good grain, good people, um, good stewardship stewardship of land. Um, so it can be people across across you know it's a, that's a really broad spectrum. Grains started from with bakers, but it's you know now brewers, um, we had malters, so anybody that's wanting to push into those kind of um, those kind of areas and um, you know d- develop networks and good agriculture, I guess, and good product um, across those things. So it's really open. Um, we're just calling for applications that want to try something and we've got a little bit of money that we can throw at those projects to support that um, and then in turn strengthen the networks that we've, we've already started to build. I mean, what are some examples of connections that you've really appreciated, perhaps fostered yourselves between growers and millers and bakers? Yeah, I mean, probably the biggest one is around Victorian growers. Um, You know, wheat is one of the biggest um, commodities that's exported from Australia. There's masses of monoculture wheat grown in Australia and most wheat is... um, is grown in that way in convention, conventional farming monocultures, and um, I don't know. It's you know, synergy around timing, but we've met really great growers who are seeking to strengthen the diversity on their land, and um, you know they're looking at diversity from. Um, sustainability perspective they're looking at first some some of them are looking at you know indigenous grains um flavor nutrition uh it's you know so interesting and that we didn't come across when we first opened our bakery that's fairly recent and has really been strengthened by grains and that's the kind of thing that we see as opportunities um with the fellowship Wow, that's really interesting. I mean, for people who haven't thought about this much or perhaps aren't sure why it's a problem, what's what's wrong with monoculture wheat? What's wrong with these this way of farming? Well, I think we're seeing now, uh, oh, well, yeah, there's so, so many ways to answer this question. So in the 1950s, um, wheats were bred to be dwarf wheats and um, fast-growing in order to uh, address growing famine. So modern wheats are grown to be um, short, they grow quickly, they get um, harvested as they're short and then they have to be replanted. So traditional older wheats tend to be perennials, so the roots stay in the ground, um, they feed the soil, they capture the carbon, they do all that. Um, all that stuff and modern wheats have been bred you know so even the last 70 years that's really changed Um, so there are so many problems the lack of diversity depletes the soil the chemical use depletes the soil harms the soil Um, the because the roots are shallow they're not drawing nutrients um you know, first the soil is depleted and then the, the roots are so shallow that they can't actually reach the nutrients in the soil. Um, so the nutritional value is decreasing um, of modern wheat. And then the way that a lot of wheat is processed is it's roller milled and, um, you know, the dense nutri- 
nutritional parts of the grain are discarded um, to, to create white flour, which is very shelf-stable and reliable and, you know, a lot of people like to use in their home because they know what it's going to do. Um, whereas if you've got um, – it's a slight diversion, but, like, that's a problem with that, that, kind, of, that kind of growing, yeah. If you've got more diverse grain and it's processed in a way that um, leaves leaves the grain whole, um, so you're accessing the the diversity of the nutrition available, um, it's so much better for your body. And we're seeing so many allergies and intolerances um, come up, and we're you know we're not we're not giving our bodies what our bodies are designed to access. Mm, and I think it's. Um yeah, that density of nutrition and the satisfaction of eating uh, some sourdough made with really awesome grain is so different to eating some sliced white bread from the supermarket. It's I mean, just not even the same food. It's like it's kind of insulting that that stuff is called bread. <laughs> yeah. Well, was it who came up with sliced white death? John. I thought it was John. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, so, I don't know. He championed it. I don't know if he was the first person, but he certainly, yeah. I mean, and that, it is, yeah. <laughs> he had sliced white death on T-shirts and yeah. what else, on cups and yeah. all kinds and, of things. Yeah, all kinds of things. Um, you know, he was so passionately against it. <laughs> yeah, but it's true. It's just a different food. It's I don't know, food feels like a kind word as well. But, you know, humans are just, you know, with all good intentions, I guess, like humans are thinking we need to feed everyone, let's grow the food faster and make it, you know, more consistent. Like you can see the the motivations aren't evil. Um, it just It's just like we just we just have got so off track as, as, um, as society. Mm. I, I forget, um, I forget the guy that, really drove that development into dwarf wheats. Um, I forget his name, but he won the Nobel Peace Prize <laughs> for his work in feeding millions. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. yeah. It's just, um, yeah, just a sort of embedded misguidedness um, that, I, you know, as a as a benevolent God, you could look upon kindly, oh, those silly humans. But um, then here we are, you know, living on earth and um, trying to make the best of it. And I think, you know, what you said before about this um, shelf-stable box of flour that people have in their home pantries and the reliability of it and how it's it, that's to me seems to be so much part of it, that consistency that, you know, you know what you're reaching for. Um, and conversely, you know, the people that are, you know, part of the grains community, they celebrate difference and a sort of instability and it's um it's that it's a different way of living really isn't it where you just you build in a kind of a necessity to be responsive absolutely I mean and that's skill building like you know bakers are so they really nerd out on learning off each other and developing their skills um so having to be adaptable is skill skill building um yeah, and it, I mean, it's just, it, it connects us to the land. It connects us to the seasons. It's, you know, just, it's, I feel like to get to your point about, you know, a benevolent God might say poor or silly humans, like we are kind of living 
in the results of this massive social experiment of globalisation and industrialisation. Um, and it's not really working out for us. We hear this term local grain economy thrown around a bit in this world. Can you tell us, Pippa, what that means? Yeah, well, as I said, you know, grain is um, a big commodity. So a lot of our wheat goes overseas, is highly processed, goes overseas and doesn't really support um, local communities within Australia. Um, it means that we have an over-centralised food system, which, as we've seen in COVID, is extremely fragile, um, lacks diversity, causes, you know, massive emissions in the food miles that they um they generate. Um, so, yeah, those are the kind of problems, those big global problems. Um, and, you know, we saw again during COVID that the, the local food systems, the people that knew their farmers, the people that supported their farmers through that, they could get the food that they wanted. Um, you know, when lettuce was however much it was in supermarkets, it was still $2.50 at the farmer's markets. Because that you know those local economies are more are more resilient in times of shock. I think one of the big um, or the kind of orthodox arguments against all of this you know cozy farmers market life is is the billions of people that need to be fed and you know the scale of everything. What's your how do you talk to people about that? Um, well, I believe that localization is the way that, you know, communities were built and um, societies were built. I recognise that I have massive privilege in being able to shop at farmer's markets and choosing to do that. Um, but I also feel like because I have the access to it, um, I also have a responsibility to support that because the more people that can do that... Um, you know, it, it will grow those localised things. Then you're supporting actual farmers. You're not supporting, you know, you're so, your your dollars are going or the community's dollars are going to a um, broader range of people and you're not centralising economic benefit to a few people at the top of the chain um, who then squeeze everyone below them. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that's really powerful um, to have this sense that it's, Sure, you are lucky and, yeah, it, it is a privilege, but it's also it's also being part of the change. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's, yeah, it's, you know, food is one of the big um, emitters, one of the big causes of the climate crisis. And the more people that can change that, reduce emissions, eat locally, eat seasonally, support um you know economically support their local communities that's that's so sustaining on a personal level and a community level um the the economic system that we live in where corporations are treated like people and or they're legally legal entities into themselves um that only exist to generate profit for the one percent it's it's, you know, drives inequality. It's crazy. I, just, I can't get my head around it. Yeah. Well, I think it's really exciting um, to, that you've got this fellowship, the John Reid Fellowship, which 
I mean, I am so keen to see who applies for it and, and, you know, who's awarded some funds because I feel like whatever they are doing is going to be part of creating this change. Um, and, yeah, we just need more and more people who are questioning the way that things are and, um, yeah, looking at really tasty and enriching ways to uh, do things differently. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, we do. And, you know, education is a part of that. You know, people, a lot of bakers complain that, you know, they can't get their customers to buy whole grain bread because people are so obsessed with large open white sourdough crumbs. And, you know, it's just once you taste that and um, understand the process behind it, you know, that, that white open crumb sourdough is just so white. It just tastes so white and bland. <laughs> it's, but it's just a shift in, in perception. Um, you know, what I'm going to do when I get off this call is I've got a loaf of Zelda rye bread and I'm going to toast it and have it with lots of butter and just, yeah, celebrate the grain. Yeah. Can't, can't go beyond that. Yeah. Nothing, um, nothing better than great bread and great butter. Yeah. Um, Pippa, thank you so much for sharing with us today. And yeah, congratulations on another beautiful grains. And yeah, with this added, um, really meaningful and poignant John Reed Fellowship, um, which, yeah, I know is going to just, uh, it's such a, such a fitting testament to John and everything that he brought to this community. Um, yeah, I know he would just absolutely love it. Yeah, he would love it. He would say, you bloody reaper. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, that's a great place to leave the conversation. Thank you, Pippa. Thanks, Danny. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This is a Deep in the Weeds production.